Berga. First and foremost, let me just say it's an honor to be here this morning. Uh, it's truly a blessing, and I do not take it for granted. I do not take it lightly, and uh, I thank God for it. Um, to my pastor, man, thank you. Thank you for your, uh, for your encouragement. Thank you for just, just building me up, man. You have no idea what your friendship means to me, what your mentorship means to me, and I thank God for you and for what he's doing in you and through you. Uh, to my wife, even though she was not able to be here, I thank her for her encouragement. I thank her for her, I thank her for the fact that she is a virtuous woman of God. I thank, you for, thank her for the fact that she truly is my rib, my good thing, the delight of my eyes, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God made her for me. Um, to my friends, my family, my church family, thank you for just loving me the way that you do. Um, part of the reason I'm able to stand up here by faith is because of you all. So uh, I greatly appreciate what God is, is doing with you all and through you all. And again, I don't take it for granted. I don't take it lightly. So thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, our text today comes out of Revelations chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. Revelations chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. And today we'll be reading out of the NIV version. And the text says this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Yes. Yeah. Oh, let's the verse, I think. And the scripture talks about the, the bride being dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, was granted or given for her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said unto me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. You may be seated in the presence of God. If I were to bring an idea to this sermon this morning, it would be that we are the bride of Christ. Turn to your neighbor, tell them we are the bride of Christ. We truly are the bride of Christ. Heavenly Father, even now, I'm asking that you just hide me behind your glory. I'm asking that you hide me behind the message of the cross. I'm asking that you use me at your disposal. I'm asking that you do what only you are able to do, Lord God, exceedingly and abundantly above all I could ever ask, think, or imagine of you according to the power that is at work in me, in us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Six years ago, I stood at this very altar with my pastor and with my best man ready to be married. And out of everything that I was feeling at the time and everything that I was, that I was going through at the time, 
I was thinking about what kind of husband I would be. I was thinking about where we would live after we were married. I was hit with a tidal wave of just different emotions. But out of everything that God had allowed me to experience above all else, I was excited. Because after all the preparation and after everything that we had done to to get to this point, I was ready to have the woman that I came to know as my best friend, my rib, and my beloved to be presented before me as my bride. Don't you know that God has the exact same anticipation and the exact same expectation for each and every one of us? Because as his church, we are his beloved. We are his best friend. We are his bride. Here John the Revelator is on the, on the Isle of Patmos and he's in exile. Yes, for preaching and ministering the word of God. And he's caught up in the spirit and he's being given visions of the future. And out of everything that God allows him to see, out of all the coming judgment and the destruction of evil that takes place, John sees something strange. Yes, he, see, he sees something weird, but he sees something beautiful. Oh, out of everything that God shows him, God shows him a wedding ceremony. Yes, he shows a bride that is ready to be presented to her groom. Yes, and the more that he looks and the more that he watches what is going on, what he realizes is he sees a picture of us. Yes, he sees a picture of us as the bride of Christ being presented before her groom, being presented before the Christ. He sees Christ standing at the altar, waiting for his bride to be presented unto him. Yes, all right. yes. And is awesome as that is, one of the things that we have to take into careful consideration of is that that requires preparation. That is a process of preparation just like every other wedding. It requires preparation. And one of the reasons that marriage is so holy and marriage is so sacred is because it is a shadow of the very presentation that John writes about in Revelations chapter, yes. chapter 19, verses 7 through 9. It is a shadow of our presentation to our groom. Yes, John sheds light in these verses on the preparation that we have to undergo as the bride of Christ by emphasizing the relationship, by emphasizing the dress, and by emphasizing the wedding supper. Because those are the three things that make up the hope of the communion that we have in Christ, with Christ, which we are going to experience when he comes back to receive us unto himself. And that process starts with prepping the relationship. I'm not going to lie to you. I had absolutely no idea just how much preparation goes into a wedding. <laughs> I didn't have a clue. <laughs> Between, between the, the, the catering and the dress and the, and the ring fittings and the bridal party and getting fitted for tuxes and, and, and the reception, most people, and it's no wonder, most people are stressed out for the very day that they've been preparing for because of the time and the money and the prep work that goes into what they thought was the most important element of the marriage. 
But then after enough time passes, we look at why marriages fail. And one of the things we come to realize is we spent so much time prepping the show that we didn't bother to prep the relationship. One of the things that me and my wife were required to do before we ever set foot on this altar was take a year of premarital counseling. Part of the reason we needed to do that was because we understood that if we were ever going to make it to the altar, our relationship had to be prepared for it. Because we understood that covenant requires communion, and communion requires relationship. So we spent that entire year learning about our deepest fears, learning about each other's hurts, learning about each other's dreams, learning about each other's ambitions, learning why we fell in love in the first place. And a lot of times, as married individuals, we forget to do that. Even if we don't forget to do it, we don't bother to do it. And a lot of times, we look at why marriages fail, and one of the things we don't realize is because the marriage was broken before the relationship ever made it to the altar. The relationship was broken before it even had the chance to begin. One of the things that God is showing me is that he's been readying us for the day that he will receive us unto himself since before the foundation of the world. And one of the things that he did to do that was initiate communion with us. He initiated communion by establishing relationship. Well, what are you saying? I'm saying that before the foundation of the world, Christ planned to use the cross as a proposal. Christ planned to use the cross as a proposal before the foundation of the world. Let me explain. In biblical times, whenever somebody was set to be married, there were four steps that had to take place. During the first step, the groom left his father's house to meet the bride at her house, and he paid what was called a mohair. A mohair is a purchase price. And it was set to free the bride from her parents' household. John chapter 1 verse 14 says this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. God stepped out of his father's house so that he can meet us in ours. He stepped out of his father's house just so he could meet us in ours because he understood that there was a price that had to be paid in order for us to be received under him. <laughs> the exact same pattern that is followed in those times to receive a bride for the groom is the same thing that Christ did for each and every one of us. And one of the reasons we understand that the cross was a proposal is because it was also a business transaction. First Corinthians chapter six, chapter six, verses 19 through 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price therefore honor God with your bodies at the cross is where redemption took place well what is redemption by its actual definition redemption is a business transaction 
where something is exchanged or purchased based on the value of the item. Jesus Christ saw you and literally thought you were to die for. So he offered up himself, he offered up his life as the price that no one else could pay just so he could receive you unto himself, which means that the day you accepted Christ is the day you became engaged because he paid the price that set you free from the house of bondage you were living in. He paid the price that no one else could pay. He paid the price that needed to be paid just so he could receive you unto himself. Revelations 19 and 7 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. John isn't suggesting that the bride made herself ready in and of her own strength. He's suggesting that she was made ready because of the power of God that it was at work in her, for her, through her. She was being prepared by Christ for Christ. Each and every one of us are being prepared by Christ for Christ so that we can be presented unto Christ. And one of the things that we need to take careful consideration of, we need to clothe ourselves in Christ. Because just like any other bride, when Christ comes back to receive us unto himself, we want to make sure we're properly dressed for the occasion. In Revelation 19.8, when John is describing the bride of Christ as being dressed in fine linen, clean and white, and that the, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, he's painting a picture of what the bride was meant to be dressed in. Because before she was received by her groom, she couldn't just be presented in any kind of way. (laughs) So before the bride was able to be presented before the groom in ancient times, in biblical times, she had to take a ceremonial bath in what was called a mikveh. The mikveh was something she had to immerse herself in seven times to represent spiritual purity. And funny enough, the mikveh was the same thing that was used whenever somebody had sinned to go and to cleanse themselves of the act that they had just committed against God. So the bride was preparing herself by immersing herself and undergoing the same ceremony, the exact same act of purification to wash herself and cleanse herself of everything that was not of God so that she could be presented before her groom. This is what an ancient mikveh looks like. While I was over in Israel, we had the chance to to see what a mikveh was and what the purpose of it was. And one of the things that we realized was that anytime you were going into a mikveh, the line was ridiculously long because of the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the bride of Christ is no different. So because of the fact that the bride could not just show up in any kind of way before her groom, she needed to make sure that she was ceremonially cleansed of everything that she had done and everything she was before she was presented as the bride. As the bride of Christ, we underwent the same thing. Whether we know it or not, God allowed us to go undergo the same ceremony when Christ died on the cross. Ephesians chapter five, verses 26 through 27 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ 
loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless before him. The moment that Christ died on the cross, the blood, the water, and the Holy Spirit, which are the testimony of who Jesus Christ is, cleansed us of the filth of the sin that we were caked in. <laughs> so that he could start to dress us in the nature that we were always intended to wear since before the foundation of the world. Yes, sir. His. <laughs> we were always intended to wear his nature. We were always yes. intended to put on who he is and yes. who he represents. But in order for that to happen, in order for us to put on the nature and the spirit of the character of Christ, there are some things that we have to take off. There are some things that we have to be stripped of. There are some things that have to be peeled away from what God has called and created us to be because people can't see who you are if you're still wearing who you were. Yes. <laughs> mm. Whenever you put on the dress that God has intended for you to wear, once you put on his spirit and his character and his nature, there are just some things that shouldn't fit you anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 through 24 say this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Once you put on the holiness of Christ, anger shouldn't fit anymore. Depression shouldn't fit anymore. Suicide shouldn't fit anymore. Jealousy shouldn't fit anymore. Lust, depression, you fill in the blank. None of that should fit anymore because it is no longer tailor-made to fit the essence of who you are. What has God been trying to get you to take off? What has God been trying to strip you of so that you can represent the resemblance of who he is and who you were created to be in him? What has he been trying to strip you of? Because whatever it is, it is robbing you of the beauty of who you were created to be because it does not represent him. It does not glorify him. It does not honor who he is because a bride when she is wearing her dress should not be wearing old clothes to fit her wedding dress just doesn't work because it is taking away from what she is wearing are you wearing Christ and if you are wearing Christ what are you trying to fit on while you're trying to put on the nature of Christ it, do, it doesn't work it doesn't work God is calling you into a deeper intimacy and a deeper transparency and a deeper nakedness with him and that requires you 
to reveal yourself to him. And I promise you that as you reveal yourself to him, he will do the same with you. And not only that, he will reveal who you truly are in him. Amen. He will show you what you were intended to wear and yes. why. Yes. If you engage in that communion with him, if you engage yes. in that sense of nakedness before him so that he can present you unto himself before the father and unite with you in his father's house. Yes. During the process of a Jewish wedding, an ancient Jewish wedding, one of the things that would take place is that the groom would leave his bride for about a year. And the reason he would leave his bride for about a year is because he went back to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride. So during that time, during that process of preparation, it was customary for the groom to give his bride a gift. It was customary as a token of his love for her, to show her that he's thinking about her, that he loves her, and more importantly than that, it was a pledge to let her know that he would be back to come for her and to receive her into his father's house. Glory be to God that our groom does the exact same thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And when God showed me this, it, it, it blew my mind away. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 say this. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. After our groom died and resurrected, he ascended back into his father's house to prep a place for us. <laughs> so that he could receive us unto himself. But during that preparation, he gave us a gift. <laughs> he gave us a gift that reminded of his, reminded us of his undying and never-ending love for us. And it also served as a promise that he would be back to get us. He left us. The Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. He left us the resemblance of who he is. He left us his character. He left us his righteousness. He left us his joy, his peace, his love. He left us himself. He gifted us with himself. As a token of the fact that he loves us and he is thinking about us and that he is waiting to receive us. The question is. Do we love him enough to receive him? As our groom, do we love our groom enough? Do we love our husband enough? Do we love our God enough to receive him as who he is and dedicate everything that we have and everything that we are and everything we were ever intended to be unto him as a token of our love for him because he left everything that he is as a token of his love for us? Yes, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Who are we? Who are we? <laughs> Who are we? Who are we to deny a love like this? 
Who are we to deny such a love as great as this, especially considering the fact that that love is still available and he is giving an invitation to you to receive that love, the very love that he used to sacrifice himself as a proposal under you and I, that is available to us right here, right now. He's inviting you to show, he's inviting you to receive the fullness of his love. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 say this, and it's actually probably one of my favorite scriptures. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide long, high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Here, Paul is inviting us to experience what we can never possibly understand. (laughs) He is inviting us to receive the very thing that goes beyond our understanding, beyond our knowledge, beyond our limited manner of thinking. Because I don't know about you, but I'll never be able to understand why he loves me the way he does. I have no idea about you, but I have no idea to this day, out of all the years that God has allowed me to live, which may not be very much to some, but I have no idea why he loves me the way he does. No. Especially considering the fact that on the basis of his grace and on the basis of his love, he left us a gift like the Holy Spirit. Has God ever reminded you of the gift that he has given you? Has God ever given you a blessing right in the nick of time and you have no idea where it came from? Has he ever, has he ever wiped your tears in the midnight hour and rocked you to sleep? Has he ever snatched you out of a situation that should have claimed your life? Has he ever given you a perfect peace when all hell around you was broken loose and you should have lost your mind? Has he? Mm. It was his grace. It was his grace. And it was on the basis of his love for you that he left you a gift like his grace. Paul is trying to get us to understand that you'll never be able to understand his love for us. But he is inviting you and he is encouraging you. He is encouraging you to experience that love and to know what that love is. First John chapter 4 and 16 says God is love. Those who live in love live in God and God in him. What he's saying is God is calling you to live in him more deeply. He's calling you to immerse yourself more deeply into the fullness of his love. Because the more you are filled with his love, the more you are filled with the measure of who he is. (laughs) He is inviting you. He is calling you. 
He is imploring you. He is on bended knee saying, I am yours. Come unto me, receive me. I am your groom. I am your all in all. I am your everything. All you need to do is come. All you need to do is come. John is on the Isle of Patmos. And while he's seeing this vision of the bride, the angel next to him says this. He says, and he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. The marriage supper was the last part of a Jewish wedding, and it was a celebration because of the fact that the bride had finally been united with her groom. What John is writing here is that not only blessed are those that were invited, but blessed are they that accept the invitation. The wedding ceremony was only open to a few, but the marriage supper was open to a multitude. It was open to everybody. Blessed are you who not only are invited, but accept the invitation so that you can be in a covenant relationship with this groom, with this Christ, with this God. Blessed are those who have been united in a covenant relationship with God. So that when you are presented unto him, when you are presented unto him, when you are presented unto him, you may bear the reflection of who he is. You may bear the righteousness that was freely imputed unto you. You may bear the joy of who he is. You may bear the love of who he is and the love that he has for you. He is inviting you to know that you are his own. And at the end of verse 9, funny enough, what John is told by this angel is that these are the true sayings, the true words of God. His word is a vow. His word is his vow. He has never broken it. He has never betrayed it. And he never will betray it because of the fact that he is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his word. And because of the fact that he is faithful to his word, he will be back to fulfill it in you and I. Look at your neighbor and tell him the groom is coming. The groom is coming back. Look at your neighbor and tell him the groom is coming back. The question is, has the bride made herself ready? The real question is, has the bride made herself ready? Has the bride prepared herself? Mm. Has the bride prepared herself? To receive this Christ, to receive this God as your Lord, as your God, as your all in all, as your everything, as your. Mm. 
have you prepped yourself to receive everything that you are in him, everything that he has called you to be, everything that he has anointed you with, everything that he has blessed you with? Have you prepared yourself to receive this living God? And if you have not, if you have not prepared yourself to receive this God, the question on my mind is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Look at your neighbor and ask him, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The invitation is here. The love of the groom is here. He's here right here, right now, on bended knee, beseeching you to be engaged in relationship with him. Ask your neighbor, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? He's right here at the altar. He's right here at the altar. He's right here at the altar. Calling you, beseeching you, begging you to experience the full measure of the love of who he is. Who are we to deny love like that? Who are we to deny a love like that? If you have not accepted this groom, if you have not received this groom, if you have not engaged in relationship, in covenant with this God, what are you waiting for? Especially when he is ready to receive you as his own. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Glory to your Lord. Glory.